Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us, it's good to see you all. And welcome and encourage you to fill out a visitor's card if you haven't already. Uh, we'd love to have a record of your visit and uh, stay in touch with you. If there's anything that we can do to help, please let us know. Uh, if there's any questions that you have about what you see or what you hear in the services, uh, please do ask. Um, as I mentioned in class this morning, we want to have justification for everything we do from Scripture. Um, so we uh, encourage you to ask questions so that we can all worship in knowledge and in truth. I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning talking about sowing to the Spirit. And I don't mean sowing as in needle and thread, right? Sowing as in... Uh, Revis, uh, harvests, reaping, uh, sowing seeds, planting seeds for a future harvest. So the question is, um, what does that really mean? What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, let's start off with uh, reading the scriptures. Uh, we'll start in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. It's a very straightforward passage and one that uh, we should take to heart. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you take a look at the bulletin this morning, you'll see a little write-up about Charles Barkley. And I'm maybe dating myself a little bit when I say I remember watching him play, and it was a lot of fun watching him play. But I think it actually might be more fun to hear him talk afterwards. Um, he's a very animated character. He's a very strongly opinionated character, uh, and including above all himself and who he really is. He's very comfortable with who he is, except for one thing. He doesn't think he's a role model. Well, I agree he shouldn't be a role model, but whether or not he should be or is is two different questions. Um, and I think if, uh, if we're honest about it, we can't av avoid the fact that somebody with his position, with his visibility, um, really is a de facto role model for a lot of kids growing up. And one of the things I mentioned in the, in the write-up uh, in the bulletin is uh, whether or not we admit it, uh, we are role models for those around us. When somebody learns that we go to church, we're instantly a role model. What do they do? What do they say? How do they act? Uh, do they really act the way that a Christian should act or not? How are we demonstrating our beliefs through our words and through our actions? So ultimately, I just want to extend on that idea here this morning um, to, to really say we are sowing seeds, whether we mean to or not, whether we intend to or not, just by the very fact that we call ourselves Christians, by the very fact that we identify ourselves as following Christ, we are sowing seeds. There's a writer, a famous writer, Annie Dillard. I don't know if you're familiar. She wrote a a book that won the Pulitzer back in 1974 called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. In 1989, she wrote a book called The Writing Life. That's a small book, um, but very uh, good read. In that, and you love this about good writers, is they have a way of stating things that 
afterwards you're like, well, yeah, I, I knew that, obviously. She said in The Writing Life, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. There is no shortage of good days. It is good lives that are hard to come by. And that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true to look back and say, I had a good day. I had a good week. I had a good month. But how often can we look back on our lives and say, I had a good life. And yet our lives are the accumulation of our days. How we spend our days is ultimately how we spend our lives. So the question I have for us today is, how are we spending our days? What are the seeds that we are sowing? And are they the seeds that we need to be? It's difficult for us in this day and time if we're not farmers, and I don't know of any farmers here, but if we're not farmers to understand exactly the, the metaphor for, for sowing seed. And we understand it abstractly, um, but we don't understand the physical labor and the effort really involved in planting seed, the dedication that we have to making sure that that seed takes root and that it grows, and ultimately the hard work it is to reap the harvest uh, when the dew season comes. I think today maybe it might be easier for us to think of in terms of investments. How many of us have a job where we put money aside into a 401k? Our full expectation is that that will, maybe not completely, but at least supplementally, help us in our retirement. It's an investment that we place over time that we hope will grow as the nest egg so that when we retire, when we stop having that income of, of regular work coming in, that we have some alternate source of income that will take care of us. It's an investment that we put in that we expect to have accumulation and a reward of value later on. And yet it's very different from the lottery, for example. We think of the lottery, it's not really an investment. I don't think anybody would consider the lottery a serious investment. Although there are a lot of people who put a lot of money into the lottery. Nobody would deny that. And yet that's really not a, an expectation, a full expectation of a value in the future. Well, we're really hoping maybe one in a million, literally, chance of winning the lottery would be good. That's hardly an investment because you're not sure of the outcome. You're gambling, you're betting on what, are you going to win or not? The lottery is really not an investment. It's something that you give away now with a hope, but not an expectation of future value. And it's also not a sense of entitlement or predestination. And that's an expectation of a benefit or a reward, regardless of what we do now. People who believe in predestination ultimately say, it doesn't matter what I choose to do, I'm already destined to go where I'm going to go. That's not the case. God hasn't said, you're going to go here no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you believe, this is what you're cut out to be. That's not the case. We are all, each and every one of us, free moral agents to choose. We don't have a sense of entitlement or predestination where our future is already cut in stone. So with all of that, realizing that we're in making an investment, we're putting some, something in now for an expectation of a reward later on, what is that investment that we're making? And ultimately, what is that reward? As we saw in Galatians, that our, our investment can either be in the flesh or it can be in the spirit. We are called to sow to the Spirit so that we will from the Spirit reap eternal life. But if we think a little bit more about that reaping eternal life, let's look over at Colossians in chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. 
starting in verse 9 through verse 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with his power, sorry, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so we see that in verse 9, we're called, and he's not ceased praying for us, that we will be filled not only with the wisdom and understanding but also with the knowledge of his will. Ultimately, we're called to walk in his way. We're called to follow him ultimately so that we can experience in verse 12 what he calls the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the reward. That's the harvest that we have to look forward to if we reap, if we sow properly. In Colossians chapter 3, a couple of chapters over, in verse 10, and starting in verse 9. Colossians 3 and verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're being renewed. We're being created as new, ultimately in the image of the one who created us. So we're bearing fruit. We're becoming a new creature once we follow him and put him on in baptism. But that is what our walk is called to be. That is our investment, if you will, and ultimately the benefit that we have through that inheritance. But what are these alternatives? What other choices do we have? Let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. A common, well-known verse, chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. And here we see the contrasts if you will, before between our former life and our current life, who we were and who we have become. Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Looking back on the old life, looking back on the way that they were and the freedoms that they have to do whatever they want, he said that the reward for that life, the reward for having that freedom, was ultimately death. The outcome of all of that life was death. And yet we compare in verse 20 and 23. But having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Our ultimate harvest will be eternal life. In verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we invest sin, we will harvest, we will reap death. If we invest in this freedom that God has given us to be slaves to him, we will reap eternal life. And that is the the promise that we've been given. And we see also in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 
that ultimately the wages for good or evil, done, evil deeds done in the body will be harvested. But ultimately, this is not an investment of time and effort for our own glory or for our own purpose. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in, tr in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of God, of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, and to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, as from, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And so we see in verse 14 that ultimately we are an aroma to those around us, a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. What is our aroma? That's the investment that we're called to make. That's the reward and the ultimate outcome of our investment is not honoring ourselves, but being a representative, an aroma of him for, for those around us, that they can understand what is inside us and what guides us. So ultimately the question is, what is the investment that we've made? What is the investment that you've made in your life? And going back to, to Annie Dillard's book, The Writing Life, she continues with this. A life of good days lived in the senses is not enough. The life of sensation is the life of greed. It requires more and more. The life of the spirit requires less and less. Time is ample and its passage sweet. So what is valuable? What is the way that you spend your days and ultimately that you'll spend your life? So let's look at three ways that we can consider how we invest our time. What the seeds are that we are sowing now and look forward to the harvest that we have to reap. In three different ways. First, we have to understand ultimately what our choices are. Everything that we do, everything that we do is a choice. And everything we do, whether we do nothing at all or not, is a choice. We can sit and decide to stay on the couch all day long. That's a choice. And it will have its rewards. But what are the choices that we have ultimately to follow? Let's turn back to Romans chapter 8. What are the choices that we're making? How are we being guided? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So ultimately we're called to sacrifice the deeds of the body and to live the life of the spirit. And the life of the Spirit is, in fact, contrary to the will of the flesh. 
But now that we understand that we live for the Spirit, we sow unto the Spirit, we have to understand that we're to be deliberate and decisive in what our choice is. There's a common phrase, and I learned this when I started worshiping here, time, tide, and formation waits for no one, right? Um, and I, I hate to say it, but it actually comes from a early Middle English saying. It's not originated with the Naval Academy, but, but it's, uh, it's effective nevertheless. Time, tide, and formation wait for no one. There are certain things in this life that are unavoidable, right? And ultimately, we have to choose and be deliberate because we don't want to get to the end of our life and look back and say, we didn't make the right choice. Or we didn't make a choice and therefore uh, lived a life that didn't have meaning. Ultimately, our conscious choice must be for what we do and who we are. So let's turn over to Philippians and see how Paul lived his life. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. What is the decision, what is the choice that Paul and both Timothy made in their lives? Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." And so we see the irony there that we ultimately will have uh, a resurrection from the dead only in sacrificing our life for him. And only in giving up our life that we can have a life through him. Because ultimately, as Annie Dillard said, a life in the here and now, a life in things is, is a poor spend, is a poor choice. And ultimately will have no extra reward, no other reward than what we have in the here and now. And yet Christ, if he lives in us, if he lives through us, if he is our life and we sacrifice our own life for his, we look forward to that ultimate victory and the ultimate inheritance from him, the resurrection from the dead, as in verse 11. He sowed the spirit and he reaped eternal life. So our call is to be deliberate and to be conscious in our choice of choosing life over death. And ultimately and finally, the last thing I would propose is to be a lifelong learner. Now, when I started having kids, I learned a lot of new things. It's fantastic, still learning. There are always new things to learn about being a parent, uh, about being eventually a grandparent, about having a job, about retiring. There's always something in this life to learn. That's not the kind of learning that I'm talking about now. What I'm talking about now is learning what the will of God is for our lives. Now, each one of us are in a different place. We're in a different situation, a different location in where we are. We've come to this point by many different routes, and yet here we are. What is our choice going forward? What do we have to look forward to? And what is our life going to be in the future? 
And my call to you today is to be a lifelong learner in the sense of opening a conversation and listening to God. So let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 8 through 14 and see the effects of not hearing what God has for us, of ignoring what God's call and message is. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room, so that you will have to live alone in the midst of the land. In my ears the Lord of hosts has sworn, surely many houses shall become desolate, even great and fine ones without occupants. For ten acres of vineyard there will yield only one bath of wine, and a homer of seed will yield but one ephah of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that the wine may inflame them. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute and by wine, but they do not pay any attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile for their lack of knowledge, and, for their, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its throat and opened its mouth without measure, and Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her din of revelry and the jubilant within her, descend into it. Sheol's mouth will open without measure. They will go down into Sheol because of the choice they had, the choice they made to ignore God's word, to not listen to what God had to say to them. And finally, let's turn over to Hosea chapter 4. If I can make a plea for the Wednesday night class. I know Mike isn't here, but Mike is doing a fantastic job walking us through Jeremiah. And ultimately, the decision that, the, that Judah made not to listen to the prophet Jeremiah to not listen to what he was saying, what God was saying through him, that the that Judah should turn from their ways, from their idolatry, from following the gods of the nations around them to follow God. Ultimately, they decided to ignore what Jeremiah, what God said to them, and they suffered the consequences. And we see, as in Jeremiah, here in Hosea, that same consequence is promised. Listen to the word of the Lord, O Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them from their ways 
and I will repay them for their deeds. They will eat, but not have enough. They will play the harlot, but not increase, because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. How many people can we look around and say, they eat, but they do not get enough? How much is enough in this world? If you look at the billboards as you're driving down the street, you always need something else, something new, something more. And there's no end to that wanting more. And that's exactly the message that we have both in Isaiah and here in Hosea, that there is not enough stuff that we can accumulate. That's not pleasing to God. And that takes us away from focusing on him and honoring him. So ultimately, we're called to make the right decision, to make the conscious choice, and to be a lifelong learner by listening to his word, by knowing him, by hearing him, and by speaking with him. So we need to keep this conversation open. We need to approach his throne in prayer. We need to make our petitions, but also our thanksgivings known to God. And ultimately, not let our stubborn will and our desire for the flesh and the things of the flesh guide our lives. Ultimately, the decision is yours, each one of us. We will reap the rewards of the seed that we sow, of the seeds that we plant today and tomorrow and after. Those seeds will ultimately reap a harvest. The question is, what seeds are you sowing today? Because that will guide what harvest you draw in the future. Are we sowing to the Spirit? Are we spending our time in the Spirit? Are we focusing on the Spirit? Are we letting Christ live in us? Are we that sweet aroma to those around us? Or are we living in the flesh? Are we desiring things of this world and letting them get between us and God? What is our decision? Because ultimately that will decide what is our harvest and what is our reward. If you haven't made the right decision, if you've been living in the flesh and you've decided to put him on in baptism and to change, to decide that the spirit is the way that you want to live, that eternal life is what you want to look forward to, and the promise that he has given to us is ultimately the victory and the reward, the harvest that we want in our life because of him and because of what he's done for us. This is the opportunity that you have to put him on in baptism, to decide that the spirit is the way to live, that the harvest of the eternal life is what we want to live for, and ultimately to praise and honor him and who he is in our lives by what we say and what we do and how we spend our days. If you want to put him on in baptism, this is the opportunity to do so. Won't you come as you, we stand and sing?